0: All right, well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Old Testament book of Nahum. We finish up our series on Nahum, and then next Sunday, can you believe it, we start our Christmas series. And so next week, we're the, the series is called Missing Christmas. And so we're gonna look at different people in the New Testament history, historical account that almost missed Christmas or did miss Christmas, and why And then we'll try to take those and apply those to us to make sure that you don't miss Christmas this Christmas season. So, but today we're going to finish up here in the book of Nahum. And we're going to be in chapter three. And so uh, we're going to just to start off today, we're going to read just verses one through seven. All right. So uh, if you could please stand and honor the reading of God's word. And we will let you sit down for a little while after that. All right. Just for a little bit, though. Keep you on your toes today. All right. Uh, Nahum chapter three, verse one. It says, woe to the bloody city! All full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear. host of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies, and all—all all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with their charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, wasted is Nineveh, who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Let's pray together. Lord, as you come to this final chapter in this ancient book talking about the ancient people of Assyria and how they faced your wrath and judgment for their brutality, for their idolatry and for how they mistreated you and your people. Lord, I just pray that we, we see the power of your wrath in this and God, that, that would do really two things in us. It would stir us to a greater fear and reverence in all of you and your might and your splendor but God, it would also move us to thanksgiving because, Lord, because of you, Jesus, and what you did for us on the cross, we do not have to fear your wrath, but Lord, help us be aware of what your wrath looks like so we would be so thankful of Jesus, what you have rescued us from. And so, Lord, we just pray that you use this time in all of our lives to to draw us closer to you, to make us more worshipful of you. Um, God, to love you more and to Really appreciate how much you deeply love us, and so God, we want to give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. Well, if you're uh, if you're new here today, or you know, just kind of coming in to to support a baptism or a dedication, as we read this, you might have been, you know, thinking, "Wow, what is this talking about? This sounds horrific." Well, it, it does sound horrific, and it is horrific. So, what we've been talking about in the book of Nahum is. It, it's set in about the early to mid 600s BC. And it's, it's oriented on an empire called Assyria. The Assyrian Empire had been a, a ruthless and brutal empire covering you know, a lot of the known world at the time. Um, they had conquered the northern kingdom of God's people called Israel. And they had scattered them for some of the slavery, slaughtered a lot of them. And the, and the Assyrians were noted for their violence. They were very a brutal people. And so early on in the 700s BC, God had sent this one prophet to Nineveh, to the Assyrians. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. And this prophet's name is Jonah. So you may have heard of that. Uh, Jonah was told by God to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent or God's judgment wrath would come. Well, Jonah didn't want to because Jonah hated the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians because of their brutality, because of what he had seen them do to his people. He didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to receive the wrath and justice of God. He longed for that. So when God told him to go, Jonah knew what was going to happen. He knew that if he goes and he preaches to the Ninevites, that they will repent and God will forgive them. And, God did, and Jonah did not want God to forgive them, which shows where Jonah's heart had gotten, right? Well, a lot of you know the story. You know, God kind of makes sure Jonah gets there anywhere. The aid of a great fish, he got prepared for that. And so Jonah goes, he preaches. Sure enough, the Ninevites repent, but the repentance didn't last. And so what Nahum does is fast forwards about 50 to 75 years later, kind of get the rest of the story. So God had given them this chance, this opportunity to repent, and they had not. So Nahum chapter three, Nahum is this prophet who comes along and he gives the Assyrian empire their, 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 final, their final judgment from God. This is their sentencing because they had been continuously rebellious against God. They had not heeded God's warnings, had not heeded God's prophets. And so for us today, Assyria gives us a picture. What does it look like when we live our life in constant rebellion against God? Even we know there is a God, maybe we suppress that truth and still do what we wanna do. Even though we know what God's word says we are to do or not to do, we still continue to do it anyway. What does it look like when we live in kind of a state of constant rebellion against God? Well, the answer is is unfortunately pretty clear. We endure his wrath, and you never wanna be on the side of God's wrath. Just say never, never, because it is beyond our comprehension, the power of God focused on justice. It's a big deal. And so what we're gonna look at today, big thought is simply this. Assyria in this chapter hears three words or phrases from God that none of us ever want to hear. So we're gonna camp out a little bit on the negative and then we'll end up on the positive, okay? So we're not gonna leave us in the dumps, right? We're gonna, but we're gonna dive here and see what these three harsh word or phrases that the Assyrians hear that you and I don't ever wanna hear from God because it's big trouble. Number one. Verse one is woe, woe to you. You See this word so many times throughout the scripture. Um, It's The the Hebrew word is hoi, and it's a word of lamenting as when someone dies. Um, It's used to draw attention to an unexpected but monumental event or occasion. Um, We see this word, it's used 51 times just in the Old Testament quite a few times in the New Testament. Like Jesus comes along and he says to the, to the Pharisees, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you're like whitewashed tombs. On the inside, you're, you're white and clean, but inside you're filled with dead men's bones, right? So the woe here was the warning, like, listen up, I'm calling you out, because you're in a serious predicament, right? Later on, in, in the book of Revelation, it talks about when, when Satan's hurled down to the earth, it's woe to you to the inhabitants of the earth, for the enemy has been unleashed, in other words, right? So the woe is like a serious, you better wake up, because it's about to get really bad unless something changes, i.e. you, right? So it's this, it's this stern warning that something terrible is coming. Well, like we see it in First Kings chapter uh, 13.30, where it says, he laid the body in the grave and they mourned over him saying, alas, or woe, my brother. So now the woe is, they have to do life without their brother living. Or we see in Micah chapter two, verse one, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform because it is in the power of their hand. Woe to those. We see in Habakkuk 2.12, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. You never see woe with good things. It's always woe because someone is repetitively, continuously, unrepentantly doing sin, doing bad things. And so here, specifically for Assyria, they were receiving this woe because of the life that they were living as an empire of unnecessary violence. It says, woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, Woe to the bloody city, Assyria, again, extremely violent. I'm not gonna get into the grotesqueness of what they would do, but they were extremely violent. Second, woe to the one who is deceitful. It says, and they were full of lies and plunder, deceitful. Violence and deceit often go hand in hand because someone is violent to someone. Just think in terms of domestic violence, Right? When domestic violence happens, it's usually the man who's violent to the lady, and it's brutal, it's uncalled for, it's oppressive, which we'll look at that in a minute, but at first, the ladies don't wanna turn, turn it in because what's gonna happen? They will feel further threatened. This is the unnecessary violence the Bible talks about. It's uncalled for, it's ungodly, it is sinful, right? The Bible says for us as husbands, to live with their wives in an understanding way, honoring them, amen? Come on, give me an amen there. Honoring them, right? Not to oppress them, not to try to force them to do what we want them to do. That is by very definition, oppressive and violent. We're not called to do that, we're called to be different. But then, that leads to lies, you know? A lot of times violence and lies go hand in hand. Here the city was filled with lies. The Bible says a lot about lying. It's not a good thing, right? It's, it's no, nowhere is it said is it's okay. Nowhere do you see the phrase a white lie in the scriptures, right? We use that phrase a lot. Well, it's just a white lie. You know, it's, who's it hurting, you know? It doesn't say it in scripture because God is truth, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the very. It's not. It's not just God is always true. Truth is God Himself is the truth. He is the He is the source of truth. He is the essence of truth. Truth is His nature. So anytime we don't tell the truth or tell a liar, deceive, we are going against the nature of God, which is against the fact that we're supposed to be image bearers of God. That's why it is a sin and ungodly. Right? We are called not to deceive, but to be honest. Revelation twenty one you know, lumps liars in with a pretty bad group. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all what? Liars. Their portion, here's the result, consequences, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And what's another name we call the lake of fire and sulfur? Hell, that's right. So again, this is the ongoing, unrepentant, violent, deceitful, murderous people. All that will result in, what to the one who is the oppressor? God's heart is always bent toward the oppressed. You read scripture. Like when his people were in slavery in Egypt, his heart was moved. He moved to action to deliver them out of slavery. God's heart is always for the widow, for the orphaned. He, he has a heart for them, the oppressed, those who are having a harder time in life. He has a heart for the poor. God is always moved with compassion for the oppressed. It's, Jesus tells a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's Lazarus, the poor beggar that went to Abraham's side, paradise, not the rich man. He went, he went to Hades. So God's heart is always moved toward the oppressed. His heart He's always angered at the oppressor, so we've got to be careful. Psalm seventy-two, verse four, says, "May he defend," talking about the king. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy, and what? Crush the who? The oppressor. Crush the oppressor. Who's leveraging violence? Who's leveraging deceit in order to manipulate to keep down? and try to elevate himself or herself over those that are not in positions of power. Woe, woe to you, that's because wrath is coming. Secondly, see here in verse five, behold, I am against you. Briefly mentioned this last week, those are words you never wanna hear from God. I am against you. The Assyrians heard it. God was against them. Against, opposed, contending with. And this fact that God is against results in several things for Assyria. We can learn from this. First, it results in their shame. Look what he says here. Um, I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will make nations Look at your nakedness. we got understand in ancient culture, if like in our culture, if someone is naked, the shame is kind of on the person who's naked. But in ancient cultures, it wasn't on the person who was naked, the shame was on the person who saw the nakedness. We see this like with Noah. You know, Noah you know, was naked and got looked at and the shame was on him, right? Or later on, there's lots of examples where the shame went on the person looking, not necessarily just on the person who was naked, So here, the shame is on the nation of Assyria. Shame, we know that sin produces shame. Shame is when we feel shame because of something we've done. Somebody knows something about us that we don't want them to know because there's a reason we don't want them to know because it's not right or not good or not holy or healthy. There's some shame involved. Well, the Assyrians were experiencing this shame they weren't the first ones. Shame was very old. You go to the back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. What's the first thing they realized? They were naked. Felt shame. So what do they do? They're covered, right? Shame wants us to cover it up. Shame wants us to hide. Shame wants us to keep secrets, keep things undisclosed. But God in healthy relationships are transparent. There's Authenticity, there's openness and transparency, the opposite of hiding and shame. Secondly, results in your filth. It says here, it's interesting, verse six I will throw filth at you, treat you with contempt. The word here is abomination, abominable filth. First, how the Lord will bring before them all of their filth and sin and abominations that they have committed up before them. They bring it all to their mind, all to their awareness. It's like in a moment of judgment, if you were to go to trial or you stand before God and he's bringing all the, all the sin you had ever done is showed it all at one moment. You're horrific. Anybody wanna sign up for that? <laughs> oh, thanks. But that's bringing the filth. That's what he's doing to the Assyrian Empire that's what will happen to those who unrepentantly, continuously rebel against the Lord, resulting in contempt, contempt. Contempt is anger against. Contempt is because they had a reputation for for vileness. Contempt means disgust, disdain. I'm sure none of us want God to look at us that way. Sometimes maybe you think God does. Maybe maybe you know you're a sinner and think when God looks at you all he sees is the shame, the guilt, the contempt, the disdain and maybe you believe that's how God looks at you. Well, that's if there's no repentance. That's if there's no humbling of oneself and surrendering your life to Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. The third and probably that's probably the worst waste. It says in seven, wasted is Nineveh. <laughs> so I'm 51 years old. And according to statistics, I'm supposed to be in this season of my life. It's called the midlife. Yeah. And what are the, where do these come from? Where do midlife crises come from? You know, it's kind of the joke you'll see a, a guy my age go out and buy a hot sports car and you know, he's the guy that I used to always laugh at because look at him, he's 55 years old driving a, a brand new Ferrari, you know, like, come on, right? But now I'm at this season of life, right? And like, what is this midlife crisis supposed to be all about? And I've done a little, I've done a little reading on it, you know, and kind of try to find out why, why do some guys go through this? I guess ladies can too. It's just, I guess it's just not as common with the ladies as it is with the guys, right? Well, here's kind of the way this usually unfolds is when you get to your midlife, right, Fifty. I don't, I don't think I'm quite in my midlife yet. I think it's still coming, right? But, but anyway, when you get to the middle of your life, you're, you're looking back on your life. And you're like, you're, you're saying kind of to yourself, well, when I, was, when I was 22, 23, what did I expect to have accomplished by the time I'm 50? You know, where did I, where did I expect I would be family-wise, faith-wise, um, career-wise, financially? You know, all these things. We kinda, here's where I thought I would be. And so what happens is a lot of times we have this midlife crisis. We get to the 50 and we remembered back at 23 where we thought we'd be, we look at where we are and we're like, ooh, I'm, I'm not there. Things have not gone the way I wanted to or things have not gone as desired. And oh my goodness, man, I'm, I'm just like 12, 15 years from retirement, I don't have much more time. And so there starts to get this panic, right, that I don't have much time left to do all the things I wanted to do and accomplish when I was younger. Because none of us want to waste our life, right? I mean, none of us want to get to the end of our life and say, well, my life was a big nothing. None of us want to, be, want to say that, right? We want to know that we've accomplished something. We want to know that, that you know, maybe we made this world a little bit better place, that somehow we, for, for us as believers, we want to know we glorified God and we, we were instrumental in him expanding his kingdom. Um, but we want, we want to know that there, there was something of value that was there, was something valuable about, about us. Kind of like, you know, George Bailey, Christmas is coming, you know, wonderful life, great movie, right? George Bailey had that problem of thinking his life was worthless and that maybe this world would be a better place without him, you know. That comes out of midlife crisis concepts. That comes out of this concept of waste. My life is a waste. Well, God has created every single one of us with unique purpose, design, and intentions, right? Ephesians 2.10 is a, a pretty important verse here in our, in our vision statement, you know, which is to, we connect you to what matters most, to God, people, purpose. Purpose, Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship, his, his the Greek word's poema, his creation. Uh, we are his creation to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. Or some of you translations say before time began. That God created us with the intention to do certain good works for his glory and for his kingdom, Amen. And so our goal as followers of Jesus is to follow him and he will lead us into doing those good works for which he created us. There's purpose. The Christian life is filled with purpose. The biblical worldview says every single individual has so much value, meaning, and purpose, right? And so for us then to get to the end of our life or the middle of our life and and say, I'm a waste. God has specific words for waste. Kind of interesting. Let's look at uh, Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. It says, my people have committed two what? Evils, two evils. Here they are. It's kind of cryptic. We talked about this years ago, so these have been around a while. Here's their, here's the two evils. They have forsaken me. That's evil number one. The fountain of living waters. And number two, they have hewed out them cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Right. So what's, and he goes on here and says, the lions have roared against him, they have roared loudly, they made him his land a waste. His cities are in ruins without inhabitant." So what is God talking about when he looks at these this broken cisterns, right? Again, you have the comparison of drinking from living water, which is good and satisfying, or drinking out of a broken pot or a cistern. Anybody know what a cistern is? You gotta be a little older to understand a cistern, unless you just read a lot of history as younger folks, right? But a cistern was, was a device that would cap, you know, capture water, like rainwater or whatever, and would store water for future use, right? But a broken cistern doesn't hold fresh water. It's gonna be the bottom. It's gonna be where all the, the mud and gunk settle down. It's gonna be nasty. Instead of drinking the satisfying living water, you're drinking waste, drinking the yuck, So God says, that is evil. It is evil for us to pursue something other than God because that results in waste. So let me paraphrase it. Wasting your life is evil. Because God put a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of intentionality into creating you. And if you're saved, he's gone to great lengths to make sure you heard the gospel and he awakened you to understand the gospel and to trust in Christ to confess him as Lord. He gave his very spirit to live and dwell within you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. God has invested more money than we can imagine, more time than we can imagine, more love than we can imagine into you. Waste that. It's evil. Can you get an amen. Evil. Don't think life is about cars and houses and Jobs, your life as a follower of Jesus is about honoring Jesus and growing in your relationship with him. That's what your life's about. All the rest is just benefits and overflows and blessings out of that relationship with Jesus. Jesus said it himself, Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which paraphrase, seek your relationship with Jesus and living for him. And then all these other things will be added to you as well, right? Focus on Jesus, because if you don't, it's going to be a waste. Waste your life, evil. Think of Assyria. Assyria had so many people. They had so much power. They had so much money. They could do and accomplish almost anything they wanted to. Can you imagine if an empire like Assyria had said, "You know what? We're going to be about the glory of God. We're going to be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's get after it." Totally changed the world for many generations to come. We kind of saw that, right? I mean, we kind of called the American experiment. A lot of people, not all, but a lot of people they came over here was for religious reasons. And, you know, look what happened. You know, for for 150 at least years We had, as a nation, had a biblical worldview, right? Not not that we were without. We had plenty of faults and plenty of sins. We were the oppressor for, for you know, black Americans and slaves brought over, right? But there was repentance. It was the biblical worldview that changed that, was it not? So, we've kind of seen a little bit of that, but now we're away from that. We're heading down the road of the Assyrians, right? Getting away from the Lord, you know. Lying and plundering, deceitful. Can you trust politicians today? Deceitful. We're heading down that road. And I'm not a I'm not a prophet. I'm just a pastor. But it's almost like God's saying, woe to America. Maybe God's saying, I am against you. Maybe, maybe saying waste, wasted. But for us as individuals, what do we do? We become amazing suppressors. We hear truth like this. We read truth in the scriptures and we have become great at taking truth we hear, reality that we know to, be, know to be real, but we suppress it and exchange it for what we want to be true, what we want to be real. We're master suppressors, right? Romans talks about this. This is in your notes, but let me just read this. Just listen to this. Romans 1, verse 18, let's skip to 21, read through 25. If you have your Bible, you can flip there if you want to read with. Romans 1 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What What does that mean, suppress the truth, right? Well, I know scripture says is that, you know, sex is supposed to be enjoyed between a man and woman in marriage, or I know the scripture says that, you know, gossiping, is I shouldn't do that. But I know the scripture says is that I'm just a steward That God's really the owner and I'm to, to live and use my resources for God and his glory, not from all of my just personal wants and pleasures, right? Anyway, we know all these things. But we suppress though, We suppress the truth and exchange it for the lie so we can do what we want to do. We're masters at that. We are kings and queens at doing that. He goes on, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Notice thanksgiving is a part of that, right? Nor did they give thanks to God. But they became futile in their thinking. In other words, their worldview got jacked up. They started thinking differently, thinking ungodly, thinking unbiblically, thinking they're right, When they're wrong, they're not in accordance with the word of God, futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So notice the path here, right? We begin to suppress the truth of God's word to do what we wanna do. That leads to us becoming futile in our thinking. Our worldview gets jacked up. And when our worldview gets jacked up and we continue down that path, that unrepentant direction, then our hearts are darkened. We're not soft hearted towards the Lord and we're not soft hearted towards each other. We're not soft hearted towards the truth. We become angry and bitter towards the truth, even hostile to the truth, right? Darkened hearts. And it, it continues, not done yet. Claiming to be wise, <laughs> they became fools. And here we go. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling natural man, birds, animals, reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up. God said, okay, you want the natural consequences of the direction you're living? Here you go. God removes his prevening grace and lets them taste the depths of the, of the harshness of reality of living a life of rebellion against God, his passive wrath hands off, gives them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served creature rather than creator, who's blessed forever, amen. Waste, woe, I am against, so none of us want to hear those things from the Lord. Amen. What do we want to hear? What do we want to hear from God? Well, let's look at the flip side. Number one, we want to hear not woe to you, but blessed are you, right? That's the opposite. Blessed are you. What does the word blessed mean? It can be translated happy, or but it means that God's favor's on you. If you're blessed, God's favors upon you. And how many of us want God's favor upon us? Absolutely, blessed are you. We get into like the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter five and where it says Jesus um, opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We want to hear blessed, right? We want to hear God say good things about us. Blessed, my favor is upon you. Not woe, not look out something bad's coming, but hey, my favor is with you. So it doesn't matter what's coming, I've got you. Amen? is a lot different? not a lot better? That's what we want to hear from God. Secondly, not I am against you, but I am for you. I am on your side. I am with you. If we're on God's side, then God's on ours, right? If we're on God's side, God is for us. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God is for you. Which leads Paul to ask this question What then we say then? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? If God's for you, it doesn't matter what else is against you. You got all you need. Amen? That's good. That's hopeful. And then, lastly, not a waste, but well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Man. You know, one day, should the Lord Terry, all of us are going to pass away, come before God Himself, right? And I try to imagine this. You know, most none of us know exactly what it's going to be like, um, but try to imagine this. You know, I won't, I'll, I won't be in my sinful body anymore, so I won't have sinful thoughts or fears or anxieties. But at the same time, I'm coming before the Creator of the universe. Who's all powerful and almighty? The Bible says that appointed for each man to die, once to die, and then judgment, right? So we come before the Bemis judgment of Christ. And you know, stand before him. Will he say, waste? Or will he say, Well done? Well done. Here's, here's where all that comes down. Here's the difference maker in all of this. So what do you do with Jesus? Because every single one of us are born in a state of rebellion. Every single one of us when we're born, we're already at enmity with God because we come out sinners. And that sin pattern only increases with age, maturity. You know, some people say, well, you know, if we can get people just more educated, it would solve everything. What you're doing is you're just educating people how to be more complex in their sin and their and their schemes, right? Now, education is good, I'm not knocking education, but education is not the answer to our sinfulness, right? Only Jesus can do that. So we read about all this wrath, and it's it's horrifying, it's terrifying. It's no Jonathan Edwards early American colonial preached a famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and he unpacked the wrath of God, and it was was terrifying. None of us want that. God, who loves us, I would say, doesn't want to give us all that wrath because he loves us. Since he loves us, he sent Jesus down the cross Jesus voluntarily went to the cross because he loves the Father and he loves us. Then on the cross, Jesus was crucified. Second Corinthians 5 says he became our sin. The Bible says that he took on the wrath of God for us. Just read through this. You read through what happens to Assyria. You read the New Testament, sees what happens to those who endure God's wrath eternally in hell, and it's just horrific. Jesus endured all of that for us. Jesus experienced the shame. He experienced the contempt. He experienced the filth that we deserve behalf so that now you're simply placing our faith and trust in Jesus like we were earlier coming to him like a child childlike simple faith can we'll be forgiven cleansed forever changed we will never again have to fear the wrath of God so the message like this, when we read chapters like this. We're not, we're not thinking to ourselves, "I hope I never have to face that." We know we don't, but it moves us. Lord, I pray for my friend, or I pray for my family member, or let me go tell them the gospel, so that they too can escape this wrath. Already been paid for by Jesus. Changes our way we read these things, so that. When we die come before the Lord, if you trusted in Jesus, you're blessed. Blessed. God is for you. And you will hear, well done. Isn't that what we want? We want to honor Heavenly Father because he's loved us so much that he did all of that for us and we deserve what Assyria gets. We can have the very best God has to give, which is Jesus himself. You know Jesus? You embraced him as Lord and Savior and surrendered your life to him? Maybe you're like, I know God will forgive me, but can he change me? Because there's some things I know I wanna do, I don't wanna do anymore. He can, he'll work with you, he gives you his spirit, which is, his spirit is, by the way, is God, and he's super powerful. He can empower you to overcome things in your life through the power of the word, through the power of the spirit, through each other. Yes, we've seen it happen here. Many of you have experienced genuine life change because of the power of God in your life, amen? If that's you, you raise your hand. If you've experienced God changing you, amen, look around. Just keep your hands up, look around. Testimonies right there of the power of God to change your life. Thanks, you can put your hands down. And we're talking. I, you know, I know of addictions. I know of just all kinds of stuff that seems unconquerable, and they are in our flesh. Seeing the Lord do it. The most important thing is, do you escape the wrath and the death and eternal condemnation? Trust in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, and you get an amazing relationship. You get a life filled with purpose and direction changes everything do you know this jesus well we're going to a time of commitment give you some just a few moments to pray and think through this and, and if you've never trusted in jesus i would invite you as we start singing we're gonna have prayer counselors up here in a moment just come and talk to them and say hey i am not saved i'm not i've not trusted in jesus and i need i know i, I need to do that and i want to do that I'll walk you through that right here, right now. It is amazing. Maybe you have trusted in Jesus, but in some areas of your life, you're kind of living unrepentantly. Although there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, we are called to live our life to honor Christ Jesus. Maybe there's some areas in your life, you just, you're not honoring the Lord and he's speaking to your heart right now. He's Just saying, this is a, this is a great moment to repent to commit to honoring me in that area of your life. You'll honor that. Blessed are those who are in spirit. That means recognize you can't do it without him. Blessed are those who mourn. That specifically refers to mourning over your sin, mourning over your poverty in spirit. You'll be comforted. Blessed are if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll be filled. My favor is on you. You will be filled. These aren't These aren't just pie-in-the-sky ideas. These are promises from God himself, Jesus' own mouth. He wants to do those in your life. Yield that over to him. Let's all stand. Go Lord in prayer. Our team will lead us in a time of commitment. As I pray, prayer counselors, if you could come on down, that would be fantastic. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for going to the cross on your behalf. God, as we read this chapter of wrath, Terrific. Or it's gruesome. It's gory. It looks like a nightmare, the worst of all nightmares. But Jesus, you endured that on our behalf so we don't have to. So, Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here who's never trusted in you, Jesus, or anyone watching online who's never trusted in you, that this would be their moment. And they just acknowledge. God, you're holy that we're not. We're sinners. We'll acknowledge and confess, Jesus, you're the Lord of the universe. You created all things. I now yield my life to you. You are the Lord. I wanna follow you, Jesus. Please forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Change me to make me more like you. I wanna follow you. I don't want my life to be a waste. I want it to matter according to what you've created me to do and who you created me to be. Lord, I want to be for you and you to be for me. And God, I want to experience your blessing. The great blessing is just being in relationship with you. So Lord, save me in Jesus' name.